This final Sunday of December, the day after Christmas, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We've been in this theme together, if you've been coming, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And the day after Christmas, the day after we commemorate that he has come, I finally want to move from the the weary world part, which is what we've been kind of uh, talking about, it seems like, most of the time, to the rejoicing part, the thrill of hope part. But in order to do that, we're going to be looking at a foreign language today, Christianese. Um, don't you love uh, Christianese, the Biblish talk, all the Bible theology terms, the, the phrases that sound like you've never heard them anywhere else but church in the Bible. And then to make it more inviting for you, I'm going to be reading out of the nerdy, wordy New American Standard Bible. So we're going all in today. You're welcome. I'm glad you're all here. Um, why don't we uh, stand in honor of hearing the Word of God, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. We read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, um, you write these words for weighty reasons. You expect us to receive them, to understand them, to take hope in them. So we pray that as we unpack these verses and unpack many verses in Romans today, that Father, you would um, give us an ear of understanding, a heart of receptivity, a mind that understands and fully grasps whatever it is that you desire to say to us. Help us to think Godward and heavenward. Help us to do the things you convict us to do. And help us to take full hope and satisfaction in you. Please move me out of the way and say what it is that you desire. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. I, I appreciate that Jim knows some of the authors of the songs we sing and he gives us these stories. And, and so I think about a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. What was that author saying? What was the composer getting at? And I think the answer to that precedes the statement in the song more than it succeeds it, succeeds it. It precedes it in the words, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The world is weary from all of its sin, all of its errors. And in Christ, on that holy night when he came, we have a thrill of hope. We have the answer to the problems. Christmas, or Christ, the hope of Christ, only has its weighty lift if we feel the profound weight of sin. This is why Paul takes 
such great pains in Romans chapters 1 through 3 to pile on the great weight of sin. Do you ever read those chapters and then go to bed like that's something to sleep after? Um, any sensible, observant person should be able, should not be able to do anything but agree with Paul's assessment. In Romans 1, Paul touches on the hot topic of homosexuality and then he actually rattles off a long list of sins. He says, all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And then you think, wow, Paul. But then Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with calling out the godless, but then he turns around and he smacks my type of person, me. He smacks the so-called goody for their hypocrisy. He basically says, don't go agreeing with me and getting on the sin-bashing bandwagon when you practice the same things. He says, you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things? And do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. Paul is closing in the walls to the climax of the verse that we church boys memorize as grade schoolers, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what my problem was this week as I studied? My problem often, I think, as a Christian is don't let familiarity rob the weight from this sentence. This is a verdict of God for which we are guilty for. The Bible unashamedly says, yes, this is the default mode of the human heart, sin and wrongdoing. But don't let that fact make it any less horrible. We choose it. <laughs> it's a default mode of the heart, but we choose it. Being a dad can make you feel like such a hypocrite. <laughs> when I look to Calvin and I say, Calvin, why do you do that? That's disobedient. I don't know, pick a scenario. I just told you to, to stay put and not squirm around. And then you said, okay, and then continued to do the exact same thing. Or, or we tell you every day to not make noise in the morning and stomp by Landon's door. Or, you know, whatever the case for a four and five year old proceeds to need to be corrected for day in and day out. And then I feel like in the same way, God looks at me and says, Kevin, I told you not to do that. You, you know not to do that. You're constantly coming to me with doing that. Why do you do that? Right? Why? And we theologians, we like to invent words, I think, to feel more comfortable about ourselves. We invent this term called total depravity or original sin. And we iron out in its definition, and then I think we use it as a cover. We use it as a cop-out. Well, I just have a propensity for sin. Well, Paul would say later in Romans 6, 12 and 13, 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do you hear that, Christian? If you are a Christian, you and I have a choice. We have a choice. One choice leads to death. One choice leads to life. But I'm totally depraved. I sin every day. And if you're a Christian, it's because you and I choose to. (laughs) We choose to sin. It's our fault. The unregenerate, the unsaved, default mode, Paul gives a very flattering verdict. He says they're so unrighteous that they suppress the truth in it. These are the scoffers. The Kevin, you believe this mumbo-jumbo? It sounds ludicrous. But as for the regenerate and as for the saved, they shouldn't be this bogged down and wanting to do sin. God help me, I shouldn't be. I think I hide my sins and my continual choosing of it well, but God's asking me as I ask Calvin why. We go over this every day. Am I not explaining it well enough? <laughs> Why are you still sinning in this way? What else can I get through your head? Don't do this. Don't do this. I wonder if you feel the weight. I wonder if you've ever been there. Could be it's just me. Most of Romans 4, Paul introduces a topic and he uses the big words, the biblish. I wonder if you're ready. Romans 5.1, he brings up those words again. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith. Humor me. Learn these words. But you might say, but my Bible uses easier words like, therefore having been made right before God by believing. (laughs) So if you're going to tell me to at least learn the difference between words like tractor and combine, or farming as opposed to ranching, please learn words that the Bible uses. Justified. Justified by faith. Christmas, Christ's coming, was all about He coming so that we might be justified. Because as Paul laid the case out, we're guilty. It's Adam's fault, it's sin's fault, but it's our fault. Because I'll be the first to admit, before anything else, I make a choice up here. I'm not stupid. I know when and where temptation happens. I know before I do it. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't do that. But then I choose to sin. Am I the only one guilty here? (laughs) Sometimes confession is good for the soul. So this is going to be the weirdest thing I've ever had you recite. But can you confess with me? I choose to sin. I choose to sin. And Paul says because of that, the wages of sin is death. See, that's what you and I earn with all of our hard-earned sinning right there. I think I'll make some more bad decisions. I think I'll indulge in this. And all we're doing is buying lethal injection needles and cliffs to jump off from and a ticking time bomb to ingest. There are consequences for our sin. Sure, we don't think we are. Think there are. We sin privately or maybe only a few of the closest to us know about it. But we've gotten this far without major issues. We'll be fine. Hmm. Paul knows about that too. He says... But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath 
in revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. That's in the Bible. Paul says that. But I'm a Christian. Christians don't sin. Well, I'm only human, and we all still have that sin nature, but but Paul doesn't seem to shrug it off as a sin nature. He calls it out for what what it is. Stubbornness. Unrepentant heart. This is the verdict, and the verdict is clear that this sort of junk deserves death. It receives death. It earns death. The verdict is death. It stores up wrath. This is where the world is headed. You know, a world of sin like this happened before. God said, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry I have made them. So the verdict is in. There's no changing it as far as we're concerned. The hearings happen. The judge has decided guilty. You and I choose sin. You, you just said it a few seconds ago. Sin leads to death. Justified. Justified. For what does the Scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Justification by faith. This is where the thrill of hope comes in. Now you need to read all of Romans because Paul understands how fragile and with what context this doctrine needs to be held. It's so easy to go off the rails with this doctrine. But here's the good news, the gospel that you and I, with our guilty stains, with the verdict of guilty looming over us and the prospect of death due to our earnings being the case, we should only believe. Only We, we must only have faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, not by works. Not by earning it. Not by paying God off. Not by paying God back, but by faith. Faith in what? Faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul fleshed this out earlier too in the same spot where he said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said that there is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Now this is where we're heading thick into the Biblish and Christianese. Righteousness. Right doing, not sinning, not bending in on ourselves, not storing up wrath, not choosing to do wrong, but righteousness. And not just any righteousness, but the very righteousness of God imputed onto us, imparted to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says we are justified as a gift. You know, Christmas is about gifts in some contexts. And this is the greatest gift. 
It means you don't need to do anything but receive here. You're not working here. You're not earning anything here. By by definition, working or earning have nothing to do with receiving gifts. I received some gifts yesterday for Christmas and I did nothing to receive them except for maybe tell Christy what I wanted. (laughs) If God's the one, or you might be saying, I should say, is it really that easy? Because if God is the one who rendered the verdict guilty, then why is He also justifying me by a gift? By His grace. His kindness. His favor. His unmerited favor. He loves you. Well, if He loves me, why does He say mean things like don't sin and you're guilty? (laughs) The same reason I point these things in my own kids. I want Him to change and to be a better person primarily for His own sake and for the sake of others. The world says, don't change. You be you. Don't apologize for yourself. God's still a sensible dad who says every now and then, put some pants on. Change. Stop doing stupid stuff. I gotta say this because of the world we're in. This is a very countercultural statement or word. Change. <laughs> Sometimes you need to change. Your sin and my sin doesn't have excuses for it to exist. It needs to stop. Sometimes you don't need to be you. Jesus says, deny yourself. You know what that means? Stop being you. If by you, you're including all the sins. Deny yourself. These aren't hurtful things to say. Or to desire. Or to want. They're all by His grace. Because what's happening is God is saying, I'm telling you to change courses so you don't head straight into that road that leads off a cliff. I'm telling you to stop being you because you right now is self-destructive. I'm telling you to change because if you don't, you'll die. God offers redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Redemption or buying back. This is what we want. This is actually what the world wants. Redemption. See, people look at the world and all the bickering and all the battling and all the polarization and all the sinning and all the one, and then they wonder, can any of this be saved? Can any of this be redeemed? And the promise of Christmas is a thrill of hope that screams yes. Yes, it can be. And you and I, deep down, really desire this strong God who has the audacity to call out sin and say, change. Because you and I are upset about the sins we see in others. We just happen to shrink back when God calls out in us. Paul would continue to say in Romans 3 that God displayed Jesus publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's what's happening. Sin deserves death. Sin earns death. The verdict for guilty sinners is death. But in God's grace, in His kindness, in His favor, He puts Jesus in our place. He presents Jesus the perfect 
sinless sacrifice. And that's where the guilty verdict of death is now going to occur on Jesus. And Jesus, being God in the flesh, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, covers all sinners everywhere by His perfect sacrifice. Why does God do this? Is He bloodthirsty? It doesn't make sense if He's the one who calls me guilty, if He's the mean judge, and then after making us all feel guilty, He decides instead to slay His Son? What's the point? The point is justice. You like justice. As I said earlier, we deep down really desire this strong God who has the audacity to call out sin and say change because, well, you and I, we get upset about the sins we see in others. How many of you love looking at the news every day? See, we're tired of bad guys winning and good guys losing. We're tired of bloodshed and and violence and dictators and dark evil agendas. And so we desire a God who is perfectly just. Thankfully, we have one who is perfectly just. But then I say, perfectly just. He's so just that He calls out the sins we don't call sins. He calls out the garbage. Well, that's not fair. I don't want to be counted guilty for my small sins in comparison to the big sins I'm really upset about. Well, first off, in the perfectly just mind of God, small sins are horrible atrocities as well. The Bible sometimes likens it to yeast and some dough. How many of us, if given the opportunity between pure water, water with just one drop of poison, or a dirty jar of water with mud and grime, and say, well, I'd rather just have God take out the dirty, grimy jar. I'll live with drinking the slightly contaminated bit. No, we would want pure water. God does too. So that's the problem. And God says, we just read, God says, I can be both just. That is, maintain His perfect justice. And a justifier. And that is, make people just. Make them fit. Make them wiped clean. Decontaminate the water. This fixes everything. It does away with the sinners who sin and and tick us off. And it does away with our own sins where we can enjoy the kingdom we want to and be with a God who loves us and God and a God we love back. And this all happens by faith, justified by faith. Do you and I believe this? Do you and I believe that we're guilty of what's causing the junk out there to happen? Do you and I believe that we need to be justified and be made right before God? Do you and I believe in God, His Son Jesus, and He being our Savior? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not some abstract head in the clouds. Oh, I got peace. God's peace. No, this is like what Paul describes over in Colossians 1. He says, And although you were formerly alienated, and hostile, in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister." Justification by faith is not just believed upon up here, 
though that is necessary. But it also does something in here and here. Paul says people who have put their faith in God were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, formerly engaged in evil deeds. But after justification, you and I have a choice. We have a choice and we can have peace with God because we're no longer warring against him. We're no longer the object of his wrath. Christ was that for us. And you and I have a choice. Can you say that with me? I can choose not to sin. I can choose not to sin. By God's grace and by his Holy Spirit, I am no longer Christ's enemy, Christ hostile. No, rather, we're friends, Jesus says, because of the justification he gives us. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. The idea of introduction here, other translations commonly use access. The picture is of this. One of my commentators says, the idea is that of an entrance into the presence chamber of a monarch. The rendering access is inadequate as it leaves out the sight, the fact that we do not come on our own strength, but we need an introducer, (laughs) Christ. See, Christ is prefigured actually by Esther, the one worthy approaching the throne and receiving the invitation and the scepter. If you remember that in the story of Esther, only except God is a far better and far more generous king than Xerxes ever was. Because of Christ, we're saved. We're justified, declared righteous in front of God. Because of Christ, we're given access. We're introduced to the very grace, kindness, and favor of God. And we exult, or we rejoice, other translations would say, in hope of the glory of God. There's a song I listen to that says this over and over, but it uses the NIV 84, which says we would add the word the hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. As in God's glory is a hope that we can have. The fulfillment of his glory. This is another one of those biblical statements. What do we mean by rejoicing, boasting, exulting in hope of the glory of God? The glory of God is a defense definitive fulfillment of the thrill of hope that he brings. God being glorified, giving weight to, pointing people to, ascribing praise, worth, value, passion, reverence, worship, everything within us to God and his name and his fame and his ways and his purposes and his designs and his wants and his kingdom. Giving glory to God. What God wants, we want. What God wills, we obey. What God desires and designs, we fulfill and fall into. Giving glory to God. And that is our hope. That's our only hope. And that's a reason for rejoicing. And you're like, that sounds like slave labor. Why is it reason for rejoicing? Because deep down, it's what we want. It's what we were made for, to glorify Him. It's probably been about five to eight sermons since I've quoted it, so it's probably time again. But Isaiah 43, verse 7 and verse 21 says, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and even who I have made, or verse 21, 
The people who I formed for myself will declare my praise. We were made for God's glory, to reflect Him, to commune with Him, to point people to Him. We were made to praise Him. And if we were made to do these things, it only seems logical that in doing these things, we will find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. And so as God is glorified more and more, our hope will be realized more and more. And as Christ came and died and rose again and justified those of us who believe, He has given us great cause for hope because He has begun redeeming His creation and restoring His creation. Paul says that His Holy Spirit is the first fruits and we are the firstborn. And so what remains is the world. Justification right before God, peace with God, It's only the beginning. And when He saved us, He's given us a hope, an anchor for the soul. A hope that we can withstand all the junk 2020 and 2021 has brought our way. And if more junk is in store in 2022, the thrill of hope that God brings in His being glorified will withstand and will overcome anything that can ever come our way. We have a hope that none can nor none will ever take away. I don't know where this hits you today. Maybe you need to be reminded, first of all, that you've been saved. That you've been saved, that Christ was and is and always will be your only way of salvation. Maybe you need to be reminded that you can choose to say no to sin. Before it's done outside, it's thought about inside. And Paul just says, rather simply, say no. (laughs) Just say no to sin. Maybe you need to be reminded that God is gracious and He loves you. And though the verdict for sin is death, the gift of God is life, it's justification, it's redemption. Or maybe you need to be reminded that because of what God did for us, you can have hope what He will do for His glory, restoring the world, justifying those who believe, establishing His kingdom, eventually overcoming all sin. It's truly a thrill of hope. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we see these words in our Bibles. We sometimes wonder what they mean. Help us to be disciplined enough that if we don't understand them, to do our research, to do our studying, to fully grasp everything you're trying to say to us. Father, we thank you for a thrill of hope. We thank you that all the sins that are committed and all the sins that we commit can be forgiven by faith in you, that we can be justified, that even though the verdict is in, that we are guilty and that we deserve death, you have given your son Jesus for that death. That all the sins that we will ever commit is placed on Jesus on the cross. And Father, help us to believe that and then to live because of that. To live and choose to say no to sin every time we're presented with an opportunity. Help us to grow to be more and more like Jesus by your Holy Spirit's power. Father, we pray that we would apply this to our lives today and the rest of the week, that every time we're presented with an opportunity to sin in our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts us, give us the determination and the obedience to say no. It may seem like a lousy answer at the time, but help us to have a broader picture of things, that you offer things wholly more satisfying than what sin could ever offer us. We thank you and we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.